Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Well, we really begin in earnest our series, The Hard Sayings of Jesus, today. So if you'd turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, to chapter 10, as we begin a topical series, and today, Jesus the Sword Swinger. Like that topic? Jesus the Sword Swinger. You see... Jesus gets blamed for an awful lot of things in our culture today. And in fact, people have their favorite verses they like to extricate from their text, from their context, and say, well, you know, Jesus is pro-Second Amendment. Jesus is for assault weapons. Jesus is a pacifist. Jesus is a... Well, he's a hippie, actually. Jesus gets blamed for a lot of things that Jesus didn't say and Jesus didn't do. And a lot of those things come from these hard sayings. Things that when you divorce them from their context and you use a single verse, it becomes your proof text. Is Jesus really, you know, one of those people that you would find driving down Vermont right next to the church with a couple of ARs in his back window and, you know, a couple of flags hanging out the back? And again, I love America. My family, amen. My family, generations of military service. I have four police officers in my family. So this is, this is going to be one of those times where we're going to look and see what the Bible says, not what our culture has told us is the way Christians ought to think. So let's look and see what Jesus actually teaches us about this particular issue. Would you join me? We'll pick up in verse 34 of Matthew 10. Father, we thank you for your word We thank you, Jesus, for this instruction, which comes from a much larger body of work. Actually, an entire instruction to your disciples that encompasses this entire 10th chapter. And we pray now that you would speak to us and help us to have the right understanding of things like personal defense, protecting our homes, burglar alarms, Owning weapons or not, military or not, police or not. Lord, instruct your church on how to rightly understand what you said, Jesus, in this passage. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Verse 34, here it comes. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Now, at first glance, that's pretty much Jesus is a radical uh, shoot-first, ask-questions-later guy. 
But notice the context. Take a look at this entire passage, verse 35. For I have not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those in his own household. Here comes the context. For he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. For he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So which is it? Is it peace-loving Jesus? Is it gun-toting Jesus? Or is it perhaps neither of those things? You see, sometimes we get our instruction rather from our culture than from our Bibles. And this is certainly one of those areas that's very much in debate. And it is very true that Jesus was declared, as the prophet Isaiah would remind us, actually nearly 700 years before Jesus actually came, 686 B.C., Isaiah the prophet writing, he would be the Prince of Peace. Amen? Isaiah 9, 6, a very familiar passage for us for Christmas. The government would be upon his shoulders and he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. These things seem to be in conflict with one another. That's why this is a hard saying. It's like, is Jesus like this absolutely mushy, do nothing about anything? You know, if someone comes to shoot you, just say, oh well. Or is he the one that, you know, currently right now is packing, you know? And I had actually a young man come to me and he wanted to know if he could bring his gun into the sanctuary. And I said, "Um, no. (laughs) But what happens if somebody comes to attack you? I said, well, if I can't move quick enough, then uh, perhaps I'm you know, might get shot, but I said, I'd rather me get shot than someone errantly get killed in the sanctuary by your stray bullet. And he says, wow, you know, I just don't know about that. I said, I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about all the police officers that are carrying in the sanctuary and you don't know who they are. (laughs) You know, so (laughs) let law enforcement do their job. But someone who really has the skills to wield that in in an appropriate way is basically what Jesus is getting at in this particular passage if you want to look at it from only that perspective. But what is he actually talking about? What kind of peace did Jesus actually intend to bring is the question. Was it an absence of conflict Was it actually even the defeat of the Romans? As you study scripture, you're going to find that Jesus not once, not ever, preached the downfall of the Roman Empire. And they were a pretty heinous group, amen? He didn't encourage the centurion to give up his military service, did he? 
He didn't say anything to those who were actually wielding the sword. And so one has to actually begin to look at the world that we live in. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus actually acknowledged we live in a world that's full of conflict. Always has been, and until he comes again, always will be. Why? Because there are both believers and unbelievers. There are people who know and love the Lord and do what he says, and there are people who actually know him, maybe even love him, and still don't do what he says. So we cannot expect an unsaved world to have biblical values. We cannot expect people who don't know the Lord to do what the Lord would inquire of us to be doing when we don't do it all that well ourselves. And so Jesus plainly acknowledges that in this world you will have tribulation. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is instructing, he's actually commissioning the apostles. He's given instruction to them. Interestingly enough, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. But he also told them, don't worry, I've overcome this world. And so the overemphasis of some of these things can get you in trouble both directions. This is why it's so important to know what your Bible says within context, not just a single verse that you can quote because it happens to make it sound like Jesus is for your political position. When in fact, Jesus says an awful lot of things that usually have a tendency to balance extreme positions out. Look, there's a church in Texas called the Rod of Iron Church where they actually bring AR-15s into their worship service and use them as part of their worship. Not happening here. (laughs) They are lunatics. It's absolutely not of the Lord. They're a cult, if you want to look at it that way. But you know what's really interesting? They use this as one of their passages, and you take weak-minded people who don't know their Bibles, say, well, Jesus wants you to have an AR-15. Pretty soon you can turn church into just about anything you want it to be. And so in our passage, we see a world of conflict. You can certainly see the family conflicts. Mom against son or daughter. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I think if I did, most of us that have had children, most of us that have raised families, we would say not every single person in our family is is really on board with this Jesus thing. Amen? And in fact, you probably have some family members about whom you would say, yep, that's my family. Mother against child, father against child, parents sometimes against each other. But notice what Jesus is saying. He is the focus here. It's not the sword. If you're not willing to be all in for Jesus, that's the issue. Because you can have a sword, you can have a gun, you can possess some type of weaponry, 
and still not be walking with Jesus. And likewise, you could own no weapons and still not be walking with Jesus. What is it that's holding you back? Because the truth of the matter is we have internal conflict. Amen? Even within the church, we have interpersonal conflict. Those things where things are crossed over in our minds. It's just like, I feel this way, you feel that way. We certainly have international conflict. Are you watching the Olympics right now? It's crazy. It's like every, the whole world is on edge. It's like, well, we can't do this and we can't do that. And we can't go here and we can't go there. It's like I keep expecting there to be a war as a result of the Olympics, which is supposed to promote peace. It's like, well, we don't like what, you, well, we don't like what you're doing. The world is a place of conflict. It's colliding worldviews. It's colliding cultures. There's all kinds of things going on. But that's not the real issue. The real issue is, without Christ, you are and were born an enemy of God. Romans chapter 5, we were enemies of God. That's the problem, that's the real battle, and that's the peace that Jesus came to promote. You see, I had a war with God. I may have also had a war with other people. I may have had disagreements. I may have had some type of battle. But the fact of the matter is, none of those things are going to last on into eternity. But if you are not a child of God, redeemed by the blood of Christ then whether you have a gun or do not have a gun isn't going to make a bit of difference if you do not have Jesus. Amen? And so I could protect all my stuff with my gun. I I could have the world's finest ring doorbell. I, I can put an alarm on my house and an alarm on my car and I can protect all my stuff, but in the end, all that stuff is perishing. It's staying here. It's not eternal. And so when we put the focus on the temporal things and not on the eternal things, we very often misunderstand what Jesus is getting at. So what was Jesus actually saying? It's pretty clear, actually, from the context of the passage. There are times when your interpersonal conflicts are going to actually be made worse by the fact that you're a believer. Amen? You're going to have discussions with people. Hey, the Bible says, and they go, well, I don't care what the Bible says. That's for you. You're the Jesus freak in the home. You're the person who actually foolishly believes that the Bible is true. You're that kind of person to them. That is going to cause conflict at times in your interpersonal relationships. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus in John chapter 14 said, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. He goes on to remind us that in his father's house are many mansions. This world is not your home. 
You see, Jesus was not so much promoting any type of physical altercation between anybody to resolve anything, which unfortunately the church has gotten involved in in our world. Somehow it's turned into we all need to be carrying guns if we're going to be really, really good Christians. Now look, let me be clear. Guns, just like rocks, are neutral. The first murder was more than likely with a stone. So it isn't about the type of weaponry. It's about what you do with it always has been. It isn't whether you possess a gun or whether you possess a sword or whether you have a high-capacity magazine. It's what is your intention? What is your heart telling you to do? Because it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. It is your mind that ultimately absorbs all of those things. And it is because your mind is spiritually governed by the Holy Spirit that you choose to do right with something that could be used for wrong. And so in that sense, Jesus is reminding us that he didn't come to bring circumstantial peace to this world. He wasn't going to resolve every family argument. Matter of fact, over him, there were going to be family arguments actually created. He wasn't going to dethrone the Roman Caesars. The Roman Caesars were followed by Caesar after Caesar after Caesar. Ultimately, by a period of time, where the Caesar actually was a Christian, Constantine. By the time that ran on for 600 years, we reached the Middle Ages. Now all of a sudden, the church is declaring war. The church decides that we're going to go back and by conquest, we're going to take the Holy Lands back. That didn't work so well either. There weren't too many Muslims that were actually converted during the Crusades. A whole lot of them were killed, murdered. We have to be careful because if you get this wrong in your heart and your mind, you can think, well, I'll just start a holy war. You know, maybe I should just kill them into Jesus. Somehow I can beat them into submission to the Holy Spirit. That isn't what Jesus was getting at wasn't saying, well, if your son doesn't repent, just punch him in the face. (laughs) Jesus was speaking of something so different than what the world understands that you needed to have biblical principles. Jesus was not advocating that everyone buy assault weapons. Look, let's, let's admit that this is a problem in our culture. And those things that we would call guns are just uh, the latest iteration of things that people have been using to harm one another for a very long time. Bows and arrows also killed people, as did swords. Uh, David managed to kill Goliath with a rock and a sling, amen? So uh, the, the issue is not, has mankind had weapons? It's what does mankind do with weapons? I would also draw your attention, there's not a single passage in Scripture where Jesus himself 
ever possessed a weapon. Now, admittedly, he's God. He had a couple of tools in his tool bag you don't have, like able to call a legion of angels should he want some. But the fact of the matter is, there's only one instance in all of the Bible where Jesus even got visibly upset, and the only people that suffered were some wooden tables. Not people, right? He turned over the money changers' tables. He's lashing out at the money changers who were selling in the house of the Lord. So that's the one time. But we don't see Jesus forcibly trying to get people to come to faith. We don't see him threatening. What we do see Jesus doing is reminding us that all who draw the sword will die by the sword. That's what he goes on to say in Matthew 26. That if you want to live your life by weapons and weapons alone, if you want to take the work of the Holy Spirit out, then you're going to have to stand on just your weapons. You see, for us as American Christians, we, we sometimes confuse our constitutional liberties, those things which the Constitution allows. Praise God for our Constitution. Again, I love America. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But America's not great because we have guns. America is great because we offer an opportunity that doesn't exist in any other nation on the face of the earth. That's why people want to come here. You talk to people that weren't born here, that came here of their own volition, not one of them came here, well, you can own guns. Just can't wait to live in a country where you can own guns. No, it's not it at all. But what does America afford? It affords religious freedom. That's also guaranteed by our Constitution, that we have the right to actually worship the Lord without hindrance. Jesus is making the case that if you make it about weapons, if you make it about swords, then you're going to end up where Peter ended up. You remember Peter's story? Jesus actually talks to the disciples on the night that he's going to be betrayed, and they're talking about this very issue. And the disciples go, well, we have two swords. Jesus actually said to them, that's enough, guys. You don't need any more than that. Then what happens with Peter? Peter, thinking that he can somehow defend Jesus, takes out his sword and lops off accidentally. He's such a poor, this is why I told that young man, please don't bring your gun in the sanctuary. Peter did the same thing. He lops off the high priest's servant, Malchus's ear, right? What did Jesus do? Well, you deserved it, man. It's like, that's what you get for choosing the wrong team. Now you don't have an ear. No, Jesus put his ear back on, right? Doesn't exactly sound like Jesus wanted that guy to walk around forever. Well, remember what you did. Now, even in that, Jesus was being very gracious, and he was not advocating, well, you guys asked for it, so now you're going to get it. He was still advocating grace. He was still advocating mercy, goodness. The truth is, guns are not the problem. Swords are not the problem. When, when you think of how Jesus responds to that situation, he, he, he believes what 
Solomon would write, as he authors the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. In Peter's case, there was a large number, the Bible records, of soldiers. There was a cohort. There may have been 500 soldiers or so in the general vicinity. And Jesus is saying, look, we're not going to solve anything by harming someone else. They came to harm me. I would rather give my life, which is what he came to do, a ransom for many, than anyone else suffer. So in that sense, while there's theologically absolutely nothing wrong with you owning a weapon for self-defense or having a hunting rifle or any of those things, that should not be what people understand about you and Jesus. It should be a non-issue. That truly is one of those things that you could say, if you have them, praise the Lord. If you don't, praise the Lord. It's between you and God. If God gives you, you know, you, you should have these things. Great. But you don't need to have Jesus identified with whether Jesus is for assault weapons. Or Jesus is for a certain type of personal defense. Or Jesus is against law enforcement. Or Jesus is anti-military. Can I tell you that Jesus is not anti-military? If he was anti-military, he would have told the centurion, dude, you need to get out of the army. What are you doing serving Caesar? He didn't do that. Like any other thing in your life, it is are you a Christian in the midst of that profession? Are you seeking to do the Lord's will in the midst of that duty? Instead of complaining about our law enforcement officers, we should be blessing and praying for them, which is what we do in this church. Amen? Look, there are bad people in absolutely every profession. There are. No one can contest that. But we should not be known as trying to destroy the lives of certain groups of people simply because of the job that they do. That very often, look, if your house is on fire, you you better hope a fire truck shows up, right? So you could be anti-fire truck because they use too much water. We're in a drought. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? You could be anti-law enforcement. But when you're, you're being held at gunpoint, you want somebody showing up with an equivalent force to extricate you from that situation, I would believe. It's the person who wears the badge. It's the person who wields the weapon. It is not the fact that they have a weapon or that they're in law enforcement or that they're in military. And the church has become associated with these viewpoints that are frankly incorrect. Amen? Look, we, can, we absolutely have a world that is going to require of us as believers to live different lives. We're, we're going to be the odd people out in every neighborhood. We think differently. We act differently. And so don't get caught up in these things that, frankly, are not the real problem. The real problem is sin. Sin's the problem. 
It's a moral and a spiritual issue. It is not the choice of weapon. It wasn't a sword. It's not ever going to be gun. How, how should we view these things? Well, the fact of the matter is, our nation happens to allow for the, the ownership of personal weapons. It's guaranteed by our Second Amendment. Your Bible actually says that we're to obey the laws that govern the land that we live in. They're in Romans 13, verses 1 through 6. And so while that is the case, then that's all it is. It's a choice of the country and the government that we live in. It allows for us to do those things. But be careful how far you push that envelope. Because if you start making it a biblical mandate that every good Christian should have this type of weapon or that type of weapon or have this type of a, you know, personal defense, then pretty soon it becomes about those issues and not about the real issue that everyone faces, and that's I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And we start alienating people. People start looking at us, oh, you're one of those. We can't go there. We can't be that kind of people. We, we can't use the arguments that effectively people would use to defend things that are actually ungodly because we don't like a specific political agenda. And so we start trying to attach the Bible to a certain set of political narratives that is so unbelievably dangerous. Because then you have to defend it in its full. You have to try and explain why that person whom you gave support to because you happen to like guns also is in support of abortion. Keep Jesus, Jesus. Amen? And then these other things will take their proper place. You'll be able to defend your position with your Bible instead of the Constitution. As a believer, you should be able to defend everything you say, everything you do, and all that you believe with your Bible. Amen? Super important, church, because if you get spun out on some of these other issues, you're going to find that they're dead-end roads. They go someplace, it's like, ooh, I didn't really want to go there, but I ended up there. That certainly could have been this. Well, Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. Was Jesus strictly a pacifist? Here's how I want to show you this. Jesus is clearly not a strict pacifist. In fact, the Bible is filled with, in fact, the book of Revelation has Jesus returning as what? A mighty warrior fit for battle. And on his thigh is a name known by no one else, King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he comes back, there is a sharp sword coming out of his mouth and his robes ultimately are dipped in blood. So you can't say Jesus is strictly a pacifist. So people go the other direction. They say, well, you know, let's just, you know, if somebody takes your stuff, just let them do it. Somebody wants to shoot your children, well, God knows. The Bible doesn't teach that either. 
These are two opposite extremes, neither of which are correct. People pull out their proof text and say, well, we're just supposed to love our enemies. We're going to get to that one too. Does the Bible say that you need to love somebody who just knocked your teeth out? It says you need to do good to those who spitefully use you for his namesake. Again, context is king. So when you look at who Jesus is in Scripture, you're going to find out that he's also a mighty warrior and he hates what sin is doing to this world. And he is going to come against it. Revelation 19, 15, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with to strike down nations. But you know what? There's an interesting thing about Jesus doing that. It's going to be absolutely 100% perfectly righteous when he does it. You and me, not so much. When he makes that decision, when he makes that judgment, when he judges against the nations of the world, there will be no mistakes. There'll be no political agenda. There, There won't be any other cause other than the cause of righteousness. And so when this time comes... And Jesus declares war finally on all sin, because he's going to do that one day. All unrighteousness. Your Bible says the wrath of God abides on those who do not repent forever. One day Jesus is going to take out that vengeance, and that's why the Bible plainly declares that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. So we're not supposed to be the ones who repay. We're not supposed to be the ones who exercise vengeance. We're not supposed to try and bring that type of justice into our world in that way because we're incapable, because we're not perfectly righteous. We all have our little prejudices, amen? We all have those little things in our thinking that say, I probably should square that away a little bit before I make that decision. Jesus' interaction there in Matthew chapter 8 with that Roman centurion. He receives the soldier's praise. He didn't say, well, now it's time for you to quit the army. He was a, he was a commander of a hundred. He was a platoon sergeant, if you want to look at it that way, in, in the Roman army. And Jesus didn't say, how could you? How could you work for Caesar. He received praise from a man who was a centurion and remained a centurion until he died. Sometimes I think we blame Jesus for points of view that Jesus doesn't have. Jesus' own disciples, as we've already seen, actually Matthew's gospel records very clearly, Luke's gospel There in chapter 22, Luke's gospel, Peter was commanded to put away his sword in John's gospel. It's like, like, look, there's a place for it. I actually told you that two was enough, but now's not the time to use it. And so church, when you think on these things, so when Jesus says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth, it doesn't mean that Jesus came to just make war either. He didn't come to just simply cause conflict. He came to redeem mankind from the trap that they were in of sin and death. He didn't come to just simply provide an answer for every socioeconomic problem that existed on the face of the earth. He didn't come to take every single nation and put them under a unified 
authority of somebody who was not him. The only time that true peace is going to exist is when Jesus comes again. That's when all that's going to actually get solved. And so Jesus says correctly, I will set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies may be members of his own household. Why? Because you have to make a choice as to who you're going to serve. You have to make a choice whether you're going to live in sin or going to be freed from sin. It's not a matter of you harming someone. It's a matter of you yourself not being harmed eternally by the sin that's in your life. So as Jesus' followers are carrying swords, Jesus essentially was saying, well, self-defense is self-defense. may be necessary. That's the world we live in. And to some degree, 2 Timothy chapter 2 actually admonishes us to, to take a stand against evil that's in this world and pursue righteousness. And sometimes that requires that you take a stand. I would hope and pray if you ever see a child being abducted by somebody that you're not going to just stand there and go, well, Jesus knows where they're going. I've heard, some, I've heard, frankly, I've heard some young people make statements like that. It's just like, well, you know, the Lord knows. Yeah, the Lord know, knew the heart of Judas, too. There's a lot of things that God knows, but he's left you in the mix to do something about it. So I would hope that you would intervene on that child's behalf. Jesus would, because he's for the innocent. So in that sense, when you look at this passage, was Jesus actually commanding us to be what we would call strictly uh, a pacifist? Would we all become then, you know, Mennonites or Amish or Quakers? Would we all take a vow to, you know, never harm? Would we become like a, a very traditional Buddhist who would not harm any living thing? Bible doesn't actually teach that. But the Bible does teach that anytime force is going to be used, it should be used absolutely 100% righteously. And that's righteous before a holy God. That's just not right because you think it should get done, but because it's right with the Lord. So defending a defenseless person Stepping into a situation where someone is going to be irreparably harmed. The Lord understands the world that we live in. And he would want us to step into those situations and do something about it. That's what Jesus was saying in that sense. He didn't command us to just step back and do nothing when evil occurs. But he also didn't say that the answer to everything is, well, shoot questions and shoot and ask questions later. And so when you look at what the Bible actually says, that his rule of peace, which is to come, by the way, when Jesus comes again, you will have a world where peace will exist everywhere. Amen? So in the long term, he actually is exactly who he says he is. In the meantime, you might need a sword. 
You might have a job that requires you to wield that sword. You may be in law enforcement. You may be in military. You may see something transpire to where you are the only hope of that innocent person in that moment. That's all part of this world. And you are going to be asked to step into situations like that. But when you do, you do so with the heart of God, which is to love people, to do as little as is necessary to rectify the situation. So Christians shouldn't be known because we're warmongers, but we also shouldn't allow evil to happen unabated either. Because the point is, you can't lead somebody to Jesus that you just let die. You're not going to have any impact if you yourself and your family are killed. There's a place for self-defense. But there's no place for us to use violence to cause righteousness to come about. And so Jesus says, look, it may tear up your family a little bit, may mess up some of your earthly relationships to follow me, but in the end, though you'll have tribulation, take courage, because I've overcome the world. And so to that end, we, we love our families, even when we disagree. We love our spouses, even when things aren't going well. We love our neighbors as ourselves. We recognize that people without Christ do all kinds of stuff that we may have to stand against at times. But at the end, we want people to know that Jesus actually does love them and has a plan for their life. That's the highest calling that we can have as a believer. And so anything that keeps you from that If your guns are keeping you from that, then maybe you need to get rid of your guns. If somehow you become so attached to that as a way of life that that's all people know about, they don't know Jesus because they can't get past your weaponry. Maybe your weaponry is your tongue. Maybe it's your attitude. Or any other thing, what Jesus is saying, don't let there be anything that will keep you from representing me well. Truly a hard saying. Amen? So let's be like Jesus. Amen? Would you stand and we'll close in prayer. Father, we are so grateful for your love, your care, your concern for us as your kids. And we would pray, Lord, That as we wrestle with these things in this world that we live in, Lord, I know there are many in this room right now that faithfully serve us in law enforcement. I know that there are members of the military, probably half of us uh, in this room, uh, have someone that we know or have been in the military. God, we know that this world is just running rampant with points of view that are not of you. And so we pray that you give us balance Help us to pick the right battles and fight them with the right weapons. Lord, give us clarity in our thinking and help us to always be those people 
that put you first in everything. We love you. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.